Lord, thank you. Thank you for our time together so far. And now as we open up your word, your truth, Lord, and continue learning what it is to be followers of Jesus. Lord, I pray that uh, through your Holy Spirit, you would speak to us corporately as a church, that as a church, we would be followers of Jesus. And, and Lord, the church is made up of individuals, of people. So, Lord, uh, individually, may we be followers of Jesus as well. So, Lord, uh, may we not just be hearers this morning, but doers of the word as you bring the, the practical application and then, and then the supernatural power to walk in the Spirit and obey what you uh, command us to do through Scripture. All God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. If you would open up to the book of Luke, that would be appreciated. Luke 9. So he is still risen. He is still risen indeed, right? Very appropriate timing. Seasonally, to celebrate Easter as we have been studying Scripture as to be followers of Jesus, right? Because it would be really kind of strange to be followers of Jesus if he wasn't alive, right? It, it, the, that whole personal aspect would kind of go out the window, and then we would just be adherents to sort of a past historical figure. And in fact, it's the resurrection of Jesus that really sets apart Christianity. Think about that. We believe in a risen Savior. That truth, if that is what you believe, that sets you apart globally. And, and, and there's implications to that, wonderful implications, but also some challenging implications as well. If you're a, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you look at the statistics worldwide, Christians... Christians are still heavily persecuted throughout the world. Christians who believe what you and I believe as we sit here this morning. That Jesus Christ was crucified, died, rose again the third day. He's Messiah. Right? And so it's, it's important to bring Easter into every day. Because every day we're following a risen Jesus. Amen? Amen? And we have been looking at following Him. And, and in Luke 9, before Easter, we looked at, at two conversations. And today we're going to look at a third. Right? And, the, and the thing I like about Jesus in, in what He says to would-be disciples, would-be followers, is you know, He, he, he speaks the truth. And in fact, he encourages you to count the cost in Luke 14. We're to count the cost, right? Look in Luke 9, 23, starting in verse 23 through 27, right? Look what he says. Then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory 
and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Turn to Luke 14. Stay, you may want to keep your finger on Luke 9. We'll be back there. Look at Luke 14. We're going to read a passage that, that is fairly lengthy, but it's important because it, it really speaks to Jesus lovingly, truthfully speaking about what it means to be one of his followers. Luke 14, verse 25 says this. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, every, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Whew. Right? Count the cost to be a follower of Jesus. He says this on the front end. And, and, and as challenging as that is, it's a good thing. It's good. Because we know on the other side, the rewards are eternal. Our names are written in heaven. And, and, and he had spoken, we've looked at in the past, all that we receive when we make that commitment to be all in, as we say around here, for Jesus. But he says, count the cost. You know, in that passage, is there suppose of you wants to build a tower? Will he not first then? Right? I think about 1290 grand. Counting the cost and being able to finish that. And now having a move-in date. How strange that would have been. And what kind of testimony that would have been to leave it half done. Right? And so he, he calls us to count the cost. And, and some of these passages, you can go back to Luke 9... They're, they're pretty challenging, right? They're pretty challenging because he talks about taking up your cross, denying yourself, loving him more than any earthly relationship, loving him more than even your own life, right? That your love for him in comparison to anyone on this planet should look like hate. He's not saying proactively hate anyone. He's just saying love me so much that there's no comparison to any earthly relationship that I am your priority, love the Lord your God with all your heart, right? With your whole being. He says that on the front end. And we've been examining this uh, step by step for the first four months of this year, right? In Luke 9, verse 57, we see these conversations. Jesus is about to head to Jerusalem, right? And he had already told his disciples, hey, when I get there, it's not going to be pretty. But I'm going. So in the context of this is Jesus, says, he says, I'm going, right? Verse 57 of Luke 9. 
As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus knew people's hearts. And he's sort of doing the count the cost in relation to what he knows about the guy's heart. And he says, really? And it's in your notes. We looked at this, right? He asked the question, well, what about there? I, I'm homeless. In fact, we went to Samaria and they wouldn't even let me stay there. They said, keep moving, you and your boys. Just keep moving. Keep moving. We don't want you here. And we asked that question that week. I want to be a follower of Jesus, right? We sang that song. But what about there? What about to discomfort? What about to inconvenience? Right? What about there? And we were challenged with, what in my life, Jesus, I want to be your follower. What are you asking me? What about there? Are you willing to follow Jesus there? Or are we still trying to fit Jesus into what works for us? What works for us? What's comfortable? What's convenient? What fits our schedule? Right? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. What about there? Right? And then in the second conversation, he says, he, verse uh, 59, he said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first, let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you grow, you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. We talked about priorities, right? That but first that all of us have probably, right? Where it says there, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. Jesus was not being insensitive. We saw when we looked at it that week, that, that phrase, first let me go and bury my father. It's a common phrase even today. And what it really meant was, it's not convenient right now. I'm going to go and I'm going to wait, take care of business. And then when I'm good to go, I'll come get you. His father wasn't dead because in this culture, when they bury, when someone dies, the tradition is they bury them within 24 hours unless there's extenuating circumstances. So this was a phrase and what he was kind of trying to do was put off Jesus. Hey, Jesus, I'll follow you. But first. But first. But first. And the question that we, we wrestled with that Sunday and, and maybe you're still wrestling it. What? What in your life, what in my life is the but first? The things that we know we should commit to this. We know we should be reading our scriptures. We know we should be spending time with Jesus. We know we should whatever, you know, we know we should, but first. But first. Anybody ever have that experience where you really know you got to do something that, that, that's actually important for the long, long haul? But for whatever reason, the but first just keep coming up. But first, I got to take the phone call. But first, I got to check my email. But first, I have to reply to this text. But first, I have to. But first, I have to. But first, I have to. And pretty soon, it's time to go to bed. And you're tired from all the but firsts. And that really important thing, never got, right? Even uh, I remember years ago reading a story of, of a guy, you know, who, who sort of was making excuses about not being able to come to church regularly. I, I want to come to church, but first I got to. But first I have these commitments. But when these when these commitments are done in, in this context of the story I read, it was about a business. 
that he was starting on Sunday. So he said, well, I'm going to come. I'm going to come to church. I'm going to get committed. I'm going I'm to get involved. But first, I've got to get this thing going on Sundays. And you know how that probably ended up. He never made it. Because once that butt burst, there was another butt burst right behind it. It's an issue of priorities. And so we looked at that on that uh, Sunday. And, and look at verse 61 for today. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, there it is again. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So the first but first in uh, verses 59 to 60, that was kind of a but first that had to do with priorities in a general sense. This but first, as I was reading it, studying it, it was really a but first that had to deal kind of with loyalties. That relational aspect of of when Jesus was talking about Luke 14, if you want to be my disciple, love me more than any earthly human relationship, right? And so this but first, that uh, I, I see it more as a relational loyalty issue that he's struggling with. And Jesus knows this, right? And how do we know this? Because he replies, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And, and I was thinking about this in terms of being a follower of Jesus and, and what came to my mind was, was a wedding. In 20 years of, of ministry, I've had the privilege to, to perform many wedding ceremonies, right, the covenant. And specifically, turn to Genesis 2.24, right? We know, as you're turning there, we know in Ephesians and Revelation that the church is what? Called the bride of Christ, right? Called the bride of Christ. And we're called into a new covenant relationship with Jesus, Look at Genesis 2.24. Genesis 2.24. says this. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh right there's a there's a phrase it's it, it, it's called if you maybe heard it to cleave right i mean ever heard the phrase leave and cleave right when when you marry someone you're to leave and you're to cleave right not cleave isn't a word we we hear it's mostly a king james word it's a king james word to cleave means to adhere to to stick or to join with that's to cleave Right. So in Genesis 2:24, a man and woman, they're to leave previous relationships and they're to cleave to one another. Right. In the same way. We're to leave. We know in Luke 14, there's a, we're, we're to leave everything, basically. And Jesus says, cleave. Cleave to me. You're now joined with me. Right. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Right. Galatians 2:20. So in one sense, spiritually, we're to leave and we're to cleave to Jesus. We're to cleave to Jesus, right? And, and this idea of a cleaving to the Lord, I'll just read, don't, you don't have to turn there, Deuteronomy 10.20. This is the King James Version. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, 
Him shalt thou serve, and to him shalt thou cleave. Right? Deuteronomy 13.4 Ye shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. Ye shall serve him and cleave unto him. Right? So there's a leaving and a cleaving. The challenge for many of us in following Jesus is the struggle to really leave and to really cleave. It's a big C word in our culture called commitment. Some of you already, the hair went kink. Commitment, right? And, and, and in, in some weddings in the past, uh, I've, shared this, I've shared this example, hope I have it, of post-it notes. I don't think I did it with you, huh? I didn't do it with you guys. You guys familiar with post-it notes? All right. See, sometimes when, when couples are getting married and they come to me for premarital counseling, I, I have to explain to them what a covenant is. And covenant is two people who, who come together. God unites them in, in marriage, and it's, it's, it's designed to be permanent, right? And yet in our culture, some people come to, to marriage even, relationships, more with the post-it note mentality. What are post-it notes designed to do? Come apart. Right? So, oh, will you marry us? Oh, will you marry us? We're all in love. We're all in love. Okay, so my question is, is it post-it? Right? Or, and this is the one that I really shun, this is kind of where the eyes get big, because I'll, I'll do this, and then I super glue two together. See, when God calls us to be in covenant with them, it's not a post-it note. It's super glue. Right, Josh? For better or for worse. For richer or for poor. In sickness and in health. You want it? I married them a year ago, so. How's that going, by the way? No, okay, wait. How's... Oh, it's great. There's only one answer, right? There's only one answer to that, right? And so, so with Jesus as his follower... We got to ask ourselves this question when it comes to leaving, leaving and cleaving. Are we? Do we always kind of have one foot out and we're, we're you know, if church doesn't work out and you get mad and upset and you know Jesus lets you down in, in your interpretation of things. You're just ready to. Well, now go try something else. Anyone ever hear why well, try Jesus? I don't know. Okay, you know, or had you approached your relationship with Jesus? Like gorilla glue, crazy glue, super glue. Right? Because this is, this is not coming apart. Unless, well, it, it, it could be, but they're going to be destroyed in the process. Right? And we have to ask ourselves, that's what he's saying. Hey, do you have a divided heart? Are you all in? Are you all in in this, right? That's, that's why the vows, right, Josh? Very important. You're saying vows before God. You're saying vows before people there. It's, it's not something that's taken lightly at all. At all, right? It was fascinating as I was studying this because there was an article that came out just a little while ago, just this week, two weeks ago, about this new generation called millennials, right? You guys familiar with the millennial generation? If you're a millennial, raise your hand. That's what I thought, right? If you're a boomer, boomers, 
If you want to claim boomer still, go ahead, raise your hand. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, that's your generation, right? Okay. So check this out. There's, there's a new word. You know, there's these phrases that come out on Twitter and social media. The millennials have come out with a brand new term. You guys get to be like right cutting edge right now. Cutting edge just, just came out, right? It's called cushioning. Okay, so these are the millennials. The catchword for the millennials is called cushioning. Here's what cushioning is. I'll just read the article. Millennials have found a new way to sabotage relationships. Cushioning is a newly coined dating term wherein a partner in a monogamous relationship still flirts with other people. So if their main relationship goes kaput, there's a backup ready. Cushioning. Cushioning that, right? Cushioning. Here's a quote from Anna, whoever Anna is. Quote, I was seeing someone for a few months and it was going well, but it felt like the dust had started to settle a bit. Anna, a cushioner who didn't want to disclose her full name for personal reasons. I still liked him, but wasn't entirely sure I wanted him to be my boyfriend and was in limbo. Instead of talk about it, the rational thing, the rational thing to do was to go back on Tinder and find some more boys to chat to just in case the current one fell through. Cushioning. Now we go, oh, how good day. I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye. How many of us might spiritual cushion? We kind of want to be committed to Jesus, but I'm swiping left and right spiritually on my spiritual Tinder app. Just in case this church Jesus Christianity thing doesn't work out, I got a backup. That's why many are stalled, are blocked. You're not growing, and you're, not, you're not maturing anymore. You're not transforming. There might be an issue in your life and you realize it and it's an issue of surrender, it's an issue of submission, it's an issue of obedience and now you're trying to figure out a way to cushion it. Up to a point, yeah, 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 all, yeah, yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden, in a very good way, Jesus has got you to a point where he wants to continue your transformation because it's lifelong, metamorphosis, right? And that you're feeling and that thing you're reaching for to cushion just in case this goes bad? What is it? Right? Are, are, we, are we cushioning ourselves? And Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. That's, that's pretty heavy duty. That word fit is usable. Right? And, and kind of being sensitive to this, this gentleman who, who's speaking, uh, in 1 Kings, okay, keep your, keep your finger at Luke 9. We're going to go to the Old Testament to 1 Kings. Look at the call of Elisha. Because maybe he was thinking of this story when he said this to Jesus about going back and saying goodbye. 1 Kings 19.19. 19. 
1 Kings 19.19. Maybe this is what this gentleman was referring to and may have, may have sort of tried to use as an out. 1 Kings 19.19, Elijah is going to anoint and recognize that Elisha has been called to be a prophet, right? 1 Kings 19.19, this is what happens. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. So Elisha's out in the field, right, plowing. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. That's huge. That's just an outward symbolic sign that you have been called. Right? That throwing of the cloak was, boom, you're the man. Okay? That's what that meant. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Sound a little bit familiar? Right? Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? Elijah lets him go. But look what he does. Look what Elisha does in verse 21. So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he sent out to follow Elisha and became his attendant. What did Elisha do when he went back? Burned the bridges. He made it real, real quick. He went back. He said, hey, Elijah came, put the cloak on me. I'm called of God. I am here and I am burning the bridges. There's no turning back. No turning back. No turning back. Right? He was all in. He sealed the deal in a very real way. He burned it. Killed, his, killed the animals. Burned the plow equipment. All in. Same thing happened when Jesus called Levi the tax collector. When it says in the Bible that Levi got up, left everything and followed him, that meant that Levi in following Jesus could never go back to being a tax collector. He had walked away from his job. And someone else would have filled it that fast. So when Levi followed Jesus, he burned all his bridges too. It was an all in moment. Right? So in this case, go back to Luke 9. Maybe he was thinking about that, right? Let me go back. And, and yet the difference is that there's a sense that Jesus knows, nah, I don't know if you're going back to burn the bridges. I'm sensing that, that there's some divided loyalty here. I'm sensing that, that uh, going back for you might mean that you never come. Because Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. The Jesus train was leaving. And this guy's like, uh, 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 I'll follow you, but let me first go, let me go back. And Jesus is like, no, I'm going to Jerusalem. Make a decision. Make a decision. Right? And so Jesus is sensing in this guy's heart some waffling, some indecisiveness. Right? He's not ready to leave and cleave. And you know the challenge, maybe you've seen it, I've seen it in 20 plus years of marriage, when two people uh, get married and they're called to leave and cleave, we all know what can happen when one or more doesn't leave. Right? 
You see it when they're still tied up into the past relationships and they don't really invest in this new union of husband and wife. And, and it's not that they don't care about family. It's not that they don't love family. It's not that. But when there's still that holding on, right, that bleeds into the new relationship. And that's what Jesus is sensing in this. And this gentleman's like, are you really ready to leave and cleave? Or do you want to go back? Are you still tied to the past? Are you still tied to past relationships? What do you want to go back to? Because this, the, the challenging thing is, if he went back, what if they were to talk him out of it because they thought he was little cray-cray? It didn't make sense. This isn't reasonable. You're going to be an attorney. Now you want to be a youth pastor. Been there, done that. You're all in for Jesus and you make a commitment to follow Jesus the best way you know how. People around you with the very best of intentions. Your loved ones may think you are flat out crazy. And may even try to give you reasonable and logical reasons why you shouldn't. Oh, you're, you're a Jesus freak now, aren't you? You're one of them. You're one of them, huh? You're crazy, huh? Right? And, and, and you gotta, you got you to gotta sell that issue. Be ready to leave and cleave. You can't, have, you can't have a divided heart. You can't have divided loyalties. Right? Luke 16, 13. No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Right? James 4, 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Right? They're talking about the world system under Satan's control. You can't have it both ways. You can't have it both ways. And a lot of believers, you struggle. We're struggling in our faith with Jesus because we're still trying to have it both ways. We want one foot in the world and we want one foot with Jesus. And, and you spend most of your time not following Jesus. You spend most of your time like this, trying not to fall. And you're exhausted, right? What did he say to the church at Laodicea? They were lukewarm. Right? They were lukewarm. Jesus says, I wish you were either hot or cold. But you're lukewarm. What happened to the church at Ephesus? They had left their first love. And so this morning, is there something? He says in verse 62, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service. Is there something this morning Hey, it's calling you to look back. Something in your past that is hindering your present tense today and future relationship with Jesus. You remember when you first started uh, to drive, and maybe, but maybe you still do this. Remember when you first started to drive, and you were supposed to look over your shoulder. How many of you, right, you're driving. How many of you, when, when you were first starting and you looked over your shoulder, the steering wheel tended to go that way too? 
Anyone? And your mother or father freaked out. <laughs> and they're looking for the brake on their, their side of the right. Right? No, you glance quickly. Right? And then you learn. Right? But how many of us, when you turned, right? He's saying you got to plow. And you're plowing. And the, the idea when you plow is to keep it straight. Right? Or else you can damage the field. You can damage other crops. Right? There was a lot of rocks in this region. So you have to be aware. You have to be aware. That's what he's saying. What in your life? What in my life? Huh? Oh, you just want to get together? Yeah, we can get together. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So sometimes we struggle because we're looking over both shoulders because we keep looking back. Right? And you wonder why your relationship with Jesus is just like, right? Sometimes you get frustrated and you're like this and you just let go of the plow. Yeah, that's tiring. I'm just going back. Is there something in your life, something in my life, in the past that we just keep looking back to? Right? If we're not careful, we're just steering that way. Right? No one puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service. What back there needs to be left back there? What back there needs to be left back there. It doesn't mean we don't learn from the past. We're not saying you do some crazy psychological mental gymnastics where you just pretend it never happened. Okay? That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is, what can you learn, bring to today, and move forward? That is radically different than living there. That is radically different than living in the past. And for many of us, even with the best of intentions, it's that looking over the shoulder. That's the challenge. Right? What do we, what do we need to let go of? What do we need to let go of? There was an example given of this. Someone says this. Consider this. An alcoholic wants to quit drinking. He thinks to himself, Quote, I would really love to stop, but I am not ready yet to give it up today, perhaps tomorrow. I wouldn't be comfortable today. The next day, his father passes away. He thinks, I had a rough day today. My father died. I will stop drinking after the funeral. After the funeral, he says, quote, I will stop drinking, but first, let me go out one more night to the bar. Let me say goodbye to my old drinking friends before I start my new life. Such a man will not stop drinking any more than the man he spoke would fully commit to Jesus. We got to be real careful that the butt bursts and the things in the past become ways for us just to keep kicking the can down the road. At a certain point, 
We have to choose. Just like, just like when I marry couples. It's a very serious, very serious event to make a vow before God and before family and friends as witnesses that I am choosing to leave and cleave. And Jesus, in so many words, in Luke 14, says, hey, this is a serious deal if you want to be my follower. This is a serious deal. I, I, I'm, I'm telling you, count the cost. You've got to leave and cleave. That leaving might be for some failures, wounds, not so pleasant experiences. Understand that. We all have those. Others, that leaving might actually be successes. Might actually be good things. And we're living in the past of who we were when it was the good old days. And, and I had a bunch of attaboys and attagirls and, and life seemed good. Some of us were living in the successes of the past. And that's as much a hindrance as the pain of the past. Because Jesus wants us to follow him today. And into the future. Amen? It's a present tense relationship with a living God. He can heal that. He can heal your past. We can learn from it. There's a whole lot. Anybody here have a list of shoulda, woulda, couldas? A whole file drawer? Maybe a, those legal size, like eight drawer ones? Right? Shoulda, woulda, couldas. Yeah, I've got a, I got a ton. And, and there are times when... when, when you know, how many of you have ever said this in whatever station in life? Knowing what I know now, if I could redo high school and college, it would be so different. Anyone? Right? Because of this length of life experience and wisdom and, you know, just life happens. So you're over here and you're like, oh, my gosh, what an idiot. Right? What was I thinking? Well, you were at that stage and you were just thinking what you could. Right? But we all kind of have these moments where, and, and one of the things that's been really helpful for me when, when you've blundered and maybe you, you've lost a relationship or maybe you've lost money, right? Investments, right? I once heard in, in, in an investment situation, someone had lost a lot of money in a, in a bad investment. I said, well, you know what? You might have lost the money. But don't lose the lesson. Don't lose the lesson. Because the lesson is what you take forward. That's the, and, and, and in our relationship, in our maturity, we all have the shoulda, woulda, couldas. We all have the headbanger moments, right? We all have the, oh, God. Can you, like, oh, wow. Really? Really? The question is, are those things, are you still... Are you still doing this? Today, at a certain point, you got to let them go. And you know why? Because the Bible says, he who is in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. New. And you know what that word new means? It means never existed before. It means never existed before, right? You see all of these house renovation shows are real popular now, right? It's not like God is, is remodeling you and just taking the old and trying to clean it up a little bit. No, the Bible says 
And if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Never existed before. The Bible says you're his workmanship. You're his poem. You're his poem. If you're going to be free of the past, somewhere along the line, you've got to embrace what Jesus says about you today. You just got to embrace it by faith. You got to let it go. You got to let it go. Because that's no longer who you were. Amen? It's not who you were. You can learn from it. Sure. But as a new creation in Christ, at a certain point, you just have to say, on the authority of the Bible, I am a new creation. And then you live according to what Scripture says about you. Right? Turn to Philippians 3. We'll close with this. Philippians 3. Philippians 3. The Apostle Paul. Great example. Philippians 3. Apostle Paul is a great example of someone who wasn't controlled by the past. And in fact, he makes a decision. He makes a decision. Anybody here ever play golf? Okay, anybody try the game where you hit a ball into a little hole? Right? Golf. What is the thing about golf? It's the most frustrating, agonizing sport probably. And what do golfers face? Right? They hit a shot. They do their best. They swing. And they whang. They slice it into the trees. Right? Or they hook it into the water. Whatever. The key to golf is how fast you can forget the bad shot and focus fully on what the next shot. Golfers, and I've been with golfers who have shanked them. I'm like, dude, let it go. Here's a new ball. I'll give it to you a new ball. You didn't have to break your clothes, you know, just because it went in the water. Right? They're so consumed. And then they're walking to the... And then they're so caught up in the bad shot that they're supposed to hit this one. Oh, I can't believe it. Really? You can't believe it? I could have told you it was going to be worse than the previous one. Because he was still living where? In the previous bad shot. In golf, the enjoyment of golf is based on how quickly you forget the bad shot. The sooner you train yourself to forget the misfire and focus fully on the next one, your enjoyment and your skill level goes up. Same thing in life. How many of us are like, I'm going to be joyful. I'm going to go to church and I'm going to be joyful. Our God is greater. I mean, you're, you're, you're so mad about something you did because you, you said something and you got in a fight on the way to church. Right? We got to let it go. Amen? If you sin and you blow it, anyone? What are you just supposed to do? Confess it. Agree with God it was sin. Repent. Turn from it. And then what? Receive forgiveness. And move on. Who's the one that wants to throw it in your face? The devil. 
The devil wants to discourage you. The devil wants to bring up your past. Aha! I thought you were past that, Linda. Right? Anyone? Ever heard those voices? Oh. And you sing on the worship team. Oh, if they only knew. Where's that voice? You were forgiven. You were forgiven. When the Bible says God remembers your sin no more, it doesn't mean he, he has a lapse of memory. Okay? When we forget in the Bible, it means we're no longer controlled. It's in your notes. Look at your notes there. It's a beautiful definition. To forget biblically is to no longer to be influenced or affected by. We break the power of the past by living for the future. Amen? So when God forgives you, here's the radical thing. He will never bring it up. That's good news, right? We're the ones that rehearse it. We're the ones. No. Certain point, guys. <sighs> Hold the plow and just look at Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, right? You don't have to turn down and read this to you. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, right? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. It's a race. And if you ever run, you look straight ahead. You don't look to the left. You don't look to the right. You don't look at the stands. You are laser focused. So if you're going to follow Jesus, you put your hands on the plow and you just follow him. Amen? You just follow Him by faith in the power of the Spirit. And then look at Philippians 3. Look at Apostle Paul. He says this. 3.14. 13 and 14. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing, here it is, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Amen? The Apostle Paul, hey, I am choosing to no longer be controlled by the past. That is a choice I am making. And in the power of the Spirit, in the best way I know how I am choosing, find my hand on the plow and follow Jesus. I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm not going to live in the past. I'm going to learn from the past. Radical difference. On the back of your notes, put a song there by Chris Tomlin, his version of an old hymn called Take My Life. And in just a bit, we're going to play this song during communion. And I encourage us this morning, if there's something in the past that you need to let go of, that you've been looking over, looking back. Maybe today, Lord, take this. Take this thing. Take this not-so-good thing, and Lord, if I'm living in the past, successes, Lord, take the successes of the past. Just take it. And be free. Be free to follow Jesus today and moving forward. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. You tell us to count the cost, Jesus. 
And you're very honest about what that cost is. And it's to, to give you the preeminence in our life. To love you above all. That you would be our central number one priority. That you would be our central number one love. Our central number one relationship. And this morning, we see in verse 62, it says, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Lord, is there something in my life that I keep looking back to? Lord, do I keep beating myself up over regrets? Things I should have said or shouldn't have said. Things I should have done or shouldn't have done. Lord, is there something in my past that I keep looking back to that is affecting my following of You today? And Lord, I need you because it's kind of scary to let go of that. To walk as a new creation in Christ, to be a follower of Jesus with my eyes fixed on Jesus, to do what the Apostle Paul did and make that decision to forget the past and strain and move forward. Lord, that's kind of scary. Because I've been in the past for a lot of years. But by faith and obedience today, I'm going to confess it. The starting point, I confess the area or the areas in my life that I have just been in bondage to. That I have, I have been looking back. And it's divided my loyalties. It's caused tension. It's affected my joy. This day, Lord, I submit, I give it to You. Help me to learn from the past and not to live in the past. You say in Your Word that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Lord, help me to embrace that truth right now. Thank You for forgiving me. Thank you that I am clothed in the righteousness of Christ, that you are pleased with me as I sit here. You are pleased. You rejoice over me. I just want to hold the plow and follow you, Jesus. That's all I want to do. In a straight line, the narrow road that you call me to. So we're going to distribute the elements and just give you a time of prayer, meditation with the Lord, and then we'll take communion together.
Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, thank you. This morning as we hold these cups, we're reminded that you were here on a mission and you had to choose to be focused to walk in obedience to your Father's will. And this morning, Jesus, we do take this communion in remembrance of you and we we desire to leave here more free from the past and in the power of the Spirit to follow you, Jesus, one step at a time, one day at a time. Amen. Here's a wonderful encouragement to you because most of you are going to experience this when you leave here. It would be pretty tough to drive your car moving forward if you're staring at the rearview mirror. Right? The rearview mirror is there to help. But if you get stuck driving forward looking at the rearview mirror, there's going to be some consequences to that. So as you leave here, maybe you sit in your car and hey, Lord, I'm going forward. Thanks for the rearview mirror to help me. And we all need rearview mirrors. It's a good thing. It keeps us on track. It's not a bad thing. Just don't get stuck staring at the rearview mirror. Amen? Amen? Turn to the person next to you and say, keep your eyes on the road. Keep your eyes on the road. <laughs> <laughs>